This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. Good morning, I'm Alice Dempster. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's Thursday the 15th of February. In your squiz today, recovering from a power outage, Tassie's off to the polls, a smaller big profit and a loaf of love. This is your squiz today. Claire, about 650,000 households and businesses were left without power after Victoria's huge storms on Tuesday. The regulator says that they've made good progress, but the full restoration could take weeks. As of yesterday morning, about 220,000 homes and businesses were still without power, but that number was down to about 135,000 by yesterday evening. And yesterday, Victoria's Energy Minister, Lily D'Ambrosio, said that it's one of the largest outages the state has ever seen. What happened was that Victoria recorded 544,000 lightning strikes between 9am and 9pm on Tuesday, and that was just within a 600-kilometre radius of Melbourne. There was also very heavy rain and strong winds, and that caused widespread damage, including to six major transmission towers. And that damage to infrastructure is what prompted AGL's power station, Loy Yang, which is Victoria's largest power generator, to go offline from about 2pm on Tuesday. The Australian energy market operator is responsible for operating Aussie power networks, and its boss, Dan Daniel Westerman said the tipping point was two key towers being destroyed between Melbourne and Geelong. Yeah, and he also said that other transmission lines were effectively being overloaded. So that's what led to the big blackouts. There were plenty of questions after that, of course, about how stable Victoria's power grid is. In recent times, there's been lots of questions about those sorts of things. But what some experts say is that what happened on Tuesday with those storms would have seriously disrupted any power system. That was the scale of what happened with the weather. Mm. Uh, Minister D'Ambrosio agreed. She said that, just to give a bit of an example, if a road collapses and you have a car full of petrol, it's just got no road to travel on. So that's what happened there. Um, Probably the other thing to mention, Alice, is that in the Gippsland region, a dairy farmer was killed in those storms. Reports say that he was likely hit by flying debris when he was driving a tractor. And we also mentioned yesterday the big bushfires burning in Victoria. The two catastrophic level blazes burning in the Grampians region have been downgraded, but authorities say at least 6,000 hectares of bushland was burnt and at least 25 homes were lost in the small town of Pomonal. There's been a big development in Victorian woman Samantha Murphy's disappearance, Claire. Victoria Police Commissioner Shane Patton now says that it's being treated as suspicious. And that's because it's been 11 days now since she set off from her run near Ballarat. And although there hasn't been any actual breakthroughs in the case, Patton says that it's very unusual that they haven't been able to locate 
any trace of the 51-year-old. Reports say that detectives are sifting through hundreds of pieces of evidence. That includes CCTV, which they gave a call out for last week. Mm. They also scale back their bushland search. Um, That happened on the weekend and that came after not turning over any new clues. So what Patton said yesterday is whether it means there's foul play involved or not, they're still not really sure. The other thing is that there's been widespread online speculation about Murphy's disappearance, but a former missing persons detective, Narelle Fraser, says that it's unhelpful to have online sleuths who listen to true crime podcasts on the case. She says they should leave the police to do their job. Long-time squizzers would know how you feel about elections, Claire. (laughs) And we mentioned Indonesia's national vote yesterday. And now Tasmanians have been given the gift of going to the polls. It's a little bit earlier than they expected, though. (laughs) How lucky are Tasmanians? (laughs) So lucky. (laughs) I wonder if it's too late to move there just to participate. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, what happened yesterday is Premier Jeremy Rockcliffe called an election for the 23rd of March. It's a year earlier than was anticipated. He says it's time to deliver certainty and stability for the state. Our Tasmanian listeners will know exactly what that means, but for everyone else, it's been really quite unstable there for a while. What happened is last year, two former Liberals quit the party and became independents. Their names are Lara Alexander and John Tucker, and they had promised support for the government, but it has turned into a very uncertain situation. And what Rockcliffe said yesterday is they need that certainty to be able to proceed. Yeah, that's right. It's certainly been a roller coaster since they quit. And Claire, just on the Indonesian election, the official count is still underway, but the early results suggest that the former military general, Prabowo Subianto, will be the country's next president. Indonesia is, of course, our big northern neighbour. So if you want to get across why the election matters and how it affects Oz, we have a new Squiz shortcut out this morning. You'll find that episode straight after this. A quick message now from our podcast partner, BHP. Across the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking to Squizzers about BHP and the work they're doing to provide the materials that we need to transition to a low emission economy for the energy transition. At the start of the podcast, you heard how copper is used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. So when it comes to producing it, reducing emissions is a priority. And that's why BHP is making solar, wind and battery deals to help power their South Australian Olympic Dam Copper Mine. It's happening now at BHP. The Commonwealth Bank has announced a big $5 billion half-year cash profit, Claire. And although that's a lot of money, it's actually down on last year. Yeah, 3% down on last year. And the bank says there's a few reasons for that. But the big one is there's hot competition for mortgage lending. Uh, The bank has dropped $2 billion from its home loan business. And its CEO, Matt Commons, says that they're really turning their focus now to investors over owner-occupiers. He says that's because they can generate higher margins from that kind of market. Uh, As for the economy, of 
course, the Commonwealth Bank is an interesting one because it's our biggest bank. Uh, Common says that he remains optimistic about the national economy, but he does expect that many households will keep doing it tough this year. And it's worth pointing out that the banks, supermarkets, energy providers and other industries are in the government and regulators' sites over claims that Aussies are not getting a good deal. A report released last week by the unions and Professor Alan Fells pointed out that only Germany has a higher banking concentration than Australia among major economies. There's not much artificial intelligence hasn't touched over the past couple of years, Claire, and now it's coming for bread. (laughs) It is coming for bread. Is there nothing AI won't touch? And, yeah, of course, the pandemic era of sourdough seemed very quaint (laughs) when you now look forward to this technology that's implemented. And Japan's oldest bakery is on board. It's teamed up with tech giant NEC Corp and they're baking something they're calling... AI romance breads. <laughs> it's just in time for Valentine's Day. Uh, what they've done is they've used AI to analyse lyrics from love songs and they've developed what they call five key feelings of romance. The first is the first encounter. Uh, then we get into the first date. And then it sort of goes a bit off track with jealousy and heartbreak. <laughs> and then we're into mutual love. And then they've turned that into bread flavours. And if you're wondering what the first date tastes like, uh, it's not a lot of white wine and fried food. Um, It is zings of citrus, namely lime and orange peel. Mm, Interesting. The other one I do like is jealousy. It tastes like purple sweet potatoes, truffle oil and raisins. (laughs) I don't know if I associate truffle oil with jealousy, but who am I to say, Claire? (laughs) Yeah, just roll with it, I think. It's bread. It's all good. Squiz the day, Claire. Is there anything to mention? Alice, it's clean out your computer day and I reckon (laughs) of late almost every time we record this podcast we talk about the need to free up some space on our computers (laughs) so that we can have some more audio files. So maybe this is the prompt that we both need. Yep, the prompt everyone needs, I think. I'm off to clear my computer now. And that wraps us up for today. We will speak to you again tomorrow. Hello, it's Bryce here from Squiz Kids. Kids and fiscal policy go together like peaches and cream, which is why we're excited to present a special Squiz Kids Q&A this week with Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers. It's the podcast where the kids of Australia get to ask the questions. Tune in to Squiz Kids today to find out how the notorious B.I.G. has helped shape next week's budget, why the Treasurer considers himself more of a three-pointer than a slam dunker, and why his toenails will be painted with glitter nail polish next Tuesday when he stands in Parliament to hand down the budget. Plus, there's a cheeky question in there about his leadership ambition. All part of our mission to engage kids in the wider news agenda. Check it out in the Squiz Kids podcast feed or via squizkids.com.au.